So as we gather this morning uh, to worship, we do so in the shadow of a previous year, looking forward to a new year and what it might have in store. And here at Calvary Newark, it's no different. If we're looking for uh, God's continued direction as we await our new pastor and family arriving in a few months, and along with our prayer for a permanent location that will afford additional avenues for ministry. It's exciting to ponder, and I truly hope that each of you share the excitement surrounding what God is preparing to do. As I went through sermon preparation this week, I wanted to, to complete the Christmas narrative as we enter into the new year filled with expectation. Brother John mentioned last week that although the traditional nativity scene depicts three wise men at the manger, we know this to be biblically inaccurate. We know that story as well, that the wise men, the magi, traveled from the east following the star and arriving to Jesus, not as a babe in the manger, but as recorded in Matthew 2.11. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It is surmised that at this moment in time, Jesus is anywhere between 6 and 18 months old, as he's identified as a young child. As we get into this passage a little more in depth a little later, uh, this morning I want to dig a little deeper into this group of wise men, these magi. Do we ever really think about who they are? We tend to gloss over their relevance in the narrative, and rightfully so, after all, the emphasis isn't about them, but their inclusion isn't by accident. The Magi first appeared in history in the 7th century BC as a tribe within the Median nation in eastern Mesopotamia. Many historians consider them to have been Semites, and that the Jews and Arabs are both descendants of Noah's son Shem. The origins of the Magi are also the origins of Abram, who was called by God from Ur in Chaldea. Later, the name Magi became associated with the hereditary priesthood. Because of their combined knowledge of science, agriculture, mathematics, and history, their political influence continued to grow until they became the most prominent and powerful group of advisors in the Medo-Persian and subsequently Babylon Empire. They became skilled in astronomy and astrology. And there are strong similarities between them and the Jews as they had a sacrificial system somewhat similar to the one that God gave Israel through Moses. They're noted for their ability to interpret dreams and they are monotheistic, believing in the existence of only one God. We see their interaction within the scriptures in the book of Daniel. During the conquest of the Chaldeans, they gathered up all the wise men of the Medes, Persians, and of all the other nations they could find. The king sought the cream of the crop for his own private counsel, as recorded in Daniel 1, 3, and 4. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You may remember these men in particular by the names they were given of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as recorded in Daniel 1.7. And in Daniel 2.24, we see Daniel successfully plead for the lives of the wise men who had failed to interpret the king's dream. And so there is no doubt 
Daniel came to be highly regarded among the Magi, saving many of their lives. <clears throat> so we'd certainly expect that the Magi learned much from the prophet David, or from the prophet Daniel, about the one true God. Daniel 5.11 says that Daniel was the chief of the Magi. And because so many Jews remained behind in Babylon after the exile, refusing to go back to Jerusalem, they intermarried with the people of the East. This makes it all the more likely that the Jewish messianic influence remained strong in that region, even into New Testament times. Perhaps the Magi had even heard about the pagan prophet Balaam who lived in Persia, his prophecy mentioning a star and a scepter rising out of Jacob. As we find that recorded in Numbers 24:17, The conclusion can be drawn that the Magi would have known the writings of Daniel and understood the prophecy recorded in Daniel 9, where Daniel refers to the appearance of the Messiah and goes into very specific detail about the timing of the anointed one's appearance. We know from Scripture that Daniel was a man of prayer, and he naturally wanted to know when things would be restored. So Gabriel answered Daniel's prayer And told Daniel not only where and when the Messiah would come, but when he would be killed. The Magi or wise men recognized the fact that Daniel's point of reference was not Babylon, but Jerusalem, as recorded in Daniel 9.16. So for the wise men, it was not a guessing game. They had to have accurate information to go on, or they would have missed him. As a student of prophecy, Daniel understood that according to Jeremiah's prophecy, Israel would face 70 years of captivity. This period began in 606 BC when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked Jerusalem. In the first year of Darius, in 539 BC, the captivity was coming to an end and Daniel longed for the deliverance of his people. So Gabriel told Daniel, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Next, Gabriel tells Daniel that after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. This passage breaks up those 70 weeks into 7 weeks and then 62 weeks for a total of 69 weeks. And then in Daniel 9.27, the 7th week is mentioned. Each week is a prophetic week. Each week worth 7 years. This means that the 70 weeks of Daniel 9 equate to 490 prophetic years, bringing us up to the time of Calvary. So even after hundreds of years, Daniel's prophecy of the coming Messiah could have been known to the wise men. And this would explain why they were able to discern the when and the where of the Messiah's birth. Which brings us to our scripture reading this morning in Matthew 2. Starting with verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. These wise men, guided by his star, make their way to Jerusalem in question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. The star guided their path And there has been many suggestions uh, to explain the natural origin of this star. Some suggest it was a combination of Saturn and Jupiter, or some other planetary combination, a comet, a supernova, or perhaps a a specifically created star or sign. Some even suggest that this star was not visible to the common man, that it only was able to be perceived by these magi. Whatever the case It is interesting to note that God met them in their own medium. Astronomers guided by a star. Their expectation is that their question would be commonplace. That the leaders and people of this capital city of the Jews would be even more interested than they were. The wise men came first to Jerusalem, assuming that the leaders of the Jews would be aware and excited about the birth of their Messiah. But that's not the realization at all. In fact, we read that this assertion of a new king is troubling to King Herod. And it is evident by his actions that this is not information that he'd previously known. King Herod was constantly on guard against threats to his rule, especially from his own family. He assassinated many family members whom he suspected of disloyalty His being troubled is completely in character. Herod, who wanted to be accepted by the Jews whom he ruled, was not a Jew Jew at all, but an, uh, an Edomite. And Rome recognized him as a vassal king over Judea. The Jews tempered their great hatred of him with admiration for his building projects, such as the magnificent improvements that he made to the second temple. Barclay reminds us of what a bloody violent ruler Herod was saying he had no sooner come to the throne than he began by annihilating the Sanhedrin. He slaughtered 300 court officers. He murdered his wife, Miriam, and her mother, Alexandra, his eldest son, Antipater, and two other sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. To say King Herod was slightly paranoid and potentially chemically imbalanced would be an understatement. 
Scripture tells us that not only is King Herod troubled, but all Jerusalem with him. This was due either to the fact that the people of Jerusalem rightly feared what sort of paranoid outburst might come from Herod upon hearing this uh, of a rival king being born, or because of the size and dignity of this caravan from the east. You see, while the common narrative depicts three wise men, this number stems from the three gifts, not the size of the traveling party that is en route toward Jesus. It is surmised that it likely that there was greater count than these three wise men, and with them entailed a caravan of up to 60 camels carrying soldiers, servants, supplies, and gifts. The sheer presence of this amount of people traveling an estimated eight to 900 miles to seek the Christ child is validation in itself of a potential threat to Herod's rule. Spurgeon sums it up by saying, This trouble is again testimony to the greatness of Jesus, even as a young child. Jesus of Nazareth is so potent a factor in the world of mind that no sooner is he there, in his utmost weakness, a now-born king, that he begins to reign. Before he mounts the throne, friends bring him presents, and his enemies compass his death. Herod is troubled And in an effort to understand the significance of this newly born king, he calls together all chief priests and scribes of the people to inquire of them where Christ is to be born. This is their first con. This is the first contact the religious leaders of the day had with Jesus. And while their biblical understanding is accurate, that according to Micah five two, the Christ would be born of Bethlehem of Judea. They fail to apply it to their lives as they seem completely disinterested in meeting the Messiah for themselves. It is with this information that Herod attempts to use the wise men to find the child so he can protect his throne and kill him. Because Herod later commanded that all boys two and younger uh, be killed in the area, we can assume that the wise men first saw the star a year or so previously. Their journey from the east to Judea was not quick. And they may have left as soon as logistics allowed. Herod heard a good Bible uh, study about the birthplace of the Messiah, but it did no good to him. Spurgeon reminds us that when the earth king dabbles in theology, it bodes no good to truth. Herod among the priests and scribes is Herod still. Some men may be well instructed in their Bibles, and yet be all the worse for what they have discovered. And while Herod urges for them to bring back word that he may also come and worship, it is noted that the wise men give no uh, affirmation to do so. But given their instruction, they depart. The star going before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. In my commentary for this passage, uh, David Guzik asserts that it could be surmised that the star first appears to the Magi and leads them to the general area, and after visiting Jerusalem and gaining additional information, appears once again to lead them specifically to the Christ child. And Spurgeon rationalizes that we believe it to have been a luminous appearance in midair, probably akin to that which led the children of Israel through the wilderness, which was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. Whether it was seen in the daylight or not, we cannot tell. And when they saw the star, 
they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they came to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It is interesting to denote that in passages in the Bible where Mary and Joseph are mentioned together, Mary takes precedence over Joseph and is mentioned first. In Scripture, where Mary and Jesus are together, Jesus is mentioned first. Traditionally, the name of the mother would have been listed ahead of the child. However, the emphasis is on Jesus the Christ. Also note that these gifts were not presented to Mary or Joseph, but to Jesus himself. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, symbolizing royalty, divinity, and death. Gold, fit for a king, pure, valuable, and nearly indestructible. It is indeed a royal metal. Frankincense was a gift for a priest since it was mixed with oil and used to anoint priests. In Jesus' day, it was used as an offering of thanksgiving and praise to God in temple worship. And finally, myrrh, a gift for the Savior. This term comes from the Hebrew word mar, which means bitter, and was used for preparing bodies for burial. More important than the gifts and the act of, is the act of worship itself. And what a sight to imagine these dignitaries bowing and worshiping the Christ child. We see here three different responses to Jesus. One may say that, that all respond in one of these three ways still. Herod displayed an open hatred and hostility toward Jesus. The chief priests and scribes were indifferent toward Jesus, all while retaining their religious respectability. And the wise men sought out Jesus and worshipped him, even at great cost. We should learn from the wisdom of these wise men. They were not satisfied with looking at the star and admiring it. They did something about it and set out and followed it. They persevered in their search and in following after the star. They were not discouraged in the search by clergy and doubtful religious leaders. They rejoiced at the star. When they arrived at the destination the star led them to, they entered in. And when they entered in, they worshipped. They sensed an urgency to worship him now and not wait until later. And when they had worshipped, it was to give something, not empty-handed adoration. One last Spurgeon quote for the day tells us that we see a wonderful pattern. Those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. Our last verse of this passage today tells us that being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. In a world that despises Christ because of his very presence is an obstacle to their personal kingdom or knows about him and cares not to know him. My prayer for each of us today is that we relate more closely to the wise men willing to seek out Jesus and worship him no matter the cost. For Jesus came to earth for us to save us through his death on the cross and his conquering over death and the grave itself.